From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. The entire program tonight is dedicated to UFO crash retrievals. Photojournalist and investigative reporter Paula Harris is here in hour one. Decorated Vietnam War vet Clifford Stone will be here in the second hour. And Victor Vigiani from Zeland News Network will be my special co-host for both hours. Before we get rolling, registration is now open for my live web conference, which is uh, on digital consciousness. And that is happening Thursday, July the 9th from 10.30 p.m. to 12 a.m. Eastern Featuring Jim Elvidge, the author of The Universe Solved and Digital Consciousness, A Transformative Vision. Again, Thursday, July 9th. This is an exclusive web conference with limited access. We're only admitting 100 people. It'll take place via Zoom. You can go to strangeplanet.ca and under events and appearances at strangeplanet.ca, again in the menu bar, under events and appearances, click on web conferences and all the details are there and the link as well to register. Thursday, July 9th, 10.30 p.m. to 12 a.m. Eastern, Digital Consciousness with yours truly and Jim Elvich. We're going to dive deep into secret government UFO crash retrieval projects over the next two hours before I introduce Paula Harris let me first welcome Victor Vigiani, the executive director of Zeland News Network, back to the program. Hey, Victor, how are you, my friend? Just fine, my friend. It's just so great to be with you again and co-hosting what I know is going to be a fascinating show. I can't wait. Before we get rolling, how do people connect to Zeland News Network where you're posting some uh, amazing stories and blogs and so forth? Yes, for certain. All you have to do is just type into your, uh, whatever your browser might be, just Zland Communications, Z-L-A-N-D Communications, and you'll hit the the news blog, uh, ZNN News Blog, and you'll get all the press releases, uh, editorials, announcements, uh, what's on the show tonight, and all kinds of uh, new information that's uh, literally coming down uh, on the pipe almost on a daily basis, Richard. I know. It's enough to make your head spin, isn't it? There's just it too really much. It really is. Yeah, it really is. It's just, uh, although there's a lot going on in the planet that uh, I guess is distracting people from their normal routines, what's happening in the, the UFO research community is indeed, I, the only word that I can come up with is overwhelming. And I think that if uh, people would want to you know, distract themselves for a moment from the, the dire situation that the planet is in in, in, uh, in a totally different context with respect to the, the pandemic, I think they will uh, find some fascinating information to give us an indication there's a brighter future out there when you look at the broader geopolitical context of what's really going on on the planet, not just with the pandemic. All right, let's uh, get Paula in here. Paula Harris is a photojournalist, investigative reporter in the field of UFOs and extraterrestrials related phenomena research. She's also a widely published freelance writer, especially in Europe. She studied ET related phenomena since 1979. 
and is on personal terms with many of the leading researchers in the field from 1980 to 1986. She assisted Dr. J. Allen Hynek with his UFO investigations and has interviewed many top military witnesses concerning their involvement in the government truth embargo. In 1997, Paula met and interviewed Colonel Philip Corso in Roswell, New Mexico, and became a personal friend and confidant. She was instrumental in having his book, The Day After Roswell, for which she wrote the preface and translated into Italian. One of Paula's most recently published books, Exopolitics, Stargate to the New Reality, contains 23 new and exciting interviews with international expert witnesses. Paula lives in Colorado and travels to Rome, Italy often. She has a master's degree in education and teaches history and photojournalism, as well as online classes in exopolitics for Michael Sala's Exopolitics Institute. She's the author of Connecting the Dots, Making Sense of the UFO Phenomenon, UFOs, How Does One Speak to a Ball of Light, Exopolitics, All of the Above, Exopolitics, Stargate to a New Reality, Conversations with Colonel Corso, and UFOs, All of the Above and Beyond. Paula Harris, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm doing well, Richard. Thanks for inviting me. I am stuck at home these months, so I've had a lot of time to look over the UFO phenomenon, a lot of time to do some studying, and I would be running around the world right now if I could. Well, it's a good time for all of us maybe to slow down a little bit and just kind of uh, push the reset button. Can we go back to your relationship with Dr. Hynek? Because I wanted to ask you about uh, his work with Project Blue Book, but also the possibility, and Clifford Stone will be here in the second hour, and I'm sure we'll get into this. It has been suggested that outside of Blue Book, perhaps working alongside Blue Book, maybe not so much working alongside, there was another project called Blue Fly that was involved with the retrieval of uh, crashed UFOs. Did, did, did Dr. Heineck ever speak to you about that? No, he didn't. Blue Fly, and there's another project besides Blue Fly. These are top-secret projects. Now, we've got to remember that when you speak to Clifford Stone, you're speaking to Army. The individual um, uh, armed services all had the cover-up. The Air Force had a cover-up, the Army had a cover-up, and, and you're going to find this interesting, Richard, but who's in charge of UFOs is the Navy, because the Navy considers outer space the other ocean, and most of the astronauts were Navy pilots. So admirals of the Navy, I'm not going to name them, have been part of the, uh, of the cover-up, have been part of the knowledge. And so the three different um, parts of the armed forces, they do not communicate very well. Uh, the, uh, the Colonel Philip Corso was Army, and, and uh, Clifford Stone is Army. Now, Colonel Corso said that when he was doing um, uh, back engineering, he was doing it for the competitive edge of the Army, which meant that the Air Force probably had stuff back in 1947 and, and as early as 1945. Because let's talk about this. The first crash was in San Antonio, New Mexico, one month after the atomic bomb exploded 
1945. Then we, and that's because of the atomic bomb situation. Then we have the uh, 1947 Roswell stuff, but that's where the 509th Bomb Squadron that threw the bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima were lodged. So, you know, we have a connection there with world history that people ought to study. Absolutely. Over to you, Victor. No, I just wanted to uh, to kind of enhance what what Paulus said. We could get into this with Clifford a little bit later on, but um, he wrote a 171-page report on the whole blue fly expedition into into the secrecy. And I guess what I want to ask Paul is, how discreet were all of the section or categories or compartmentalizations? I guess is the right word. How discreet were they, Paul? Like, was one entity not talking to another, was that the way they operate, or was there any interconnection at all? No, that's the way they always operate, Victor. I mean, you know, Alan Hynek was hired to debunk UFO cases for the Air Force. So I'm, I'm naming different parts of the armed services. Uh, the Air Force. And so Alan started doing that, and of course he got a very bad reputation that he could part, harsh, you know, hardly live down when he called uh, a case up in Minnesota uh, swamp gas because he couldn't think of what it was. He changed his mind in the Socorro, New Mexico case, the Lonnie Zamora case. Alan looked at everything very scientifically. He went to uh, explain it first, you know, the way he is a scientist. He's an astronomer. He wasn't a ufologist. And he, he said most of them could be explained. And so when Alan Hynek was working, he was working for the Air Force, and they explained most of them until we got to the Lonnie Zamora case in, in Socorro, New Mexico, where the, uh, he was a state trooper. He'd seen the landing. He'd seen two beings. And when you have physical traces, like you did in that case, where it had four, the, the craft, which was not a flying saucer, it was egg-shaped, had four landing pads, and you could measure how heavy it was by how deep those, those, um, the landing, uh, uh, you know, uh, legs were. By the way, all this is going to be in a movie, and this is for you to understand, called The Phenomena by James Fox is coming out this year. Because James Fox is going to spend a lot of time on Lonnie Zamora case. He's going to spend a lot of time on Alan Hynek and Jacques Vallée, who Jacques Vallée worked with Alan Hynek. Uh, both Jacques Vallée and Alan went to the United Nations to try to open this up in the 1970s. But the, the different parts of the, uh, the armed services and the intelligence community, well, the CIA, uh, the DIA and all that, they all have information and nobody sits down and talks to anybody. So what you have is a heavy compartmentalized type of, of subject matter where the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing, and then you have the media that gets in there that mixes everything up, so the general public has no idea what's going on. And what I learned in all of these years was that there's a lot of disinformation mixed in with the information. So there's a little bit of truth in everything, but you never know the whole story. You mentioned, you know, the, the Navy, they seem to be kind of overseeing the UFO file, if you will. When there is a crash whether we're talking about Roswell or whether we're talking about uh, the Aztec UFO crash or Kecksburg a little more recently in 65. 
I'm trying to think of an analogy here, and the best I can come up is when you have all these competing tow truck companies racing to the scene of a crash so that they can, you know, they can get the uh, the contract to haul off the, the wreck. Is it at times as chaotic as that, these competing government agencies trying to take control of a crash, or is there more coordination from the top that basically dictates who's going to be on the scene and who will, who will uh, basically be in control? Well, see, I can't really answer that question because I don't know, but in the case like of the 1945 crash and Roswell, the Army Air Force was one. They were one. They didn't split up until 1948, so you had the Army and the Air Force together, and they were in charge. The Navy is the one, I think, that does a lot of the coordination but um, the, and is in charge of outer space. But the Army Air Force in the old days were the ones that got the materials. And in my case, I can only talk about what I know. In my case, because I was so close to Colonel Corso, Corso didn't come out with the day after Roswell until the 50th anniversary of the Roswell crash. And he didn't get the stuff until 1960. He got it during the uh, Kennedy administration. Well, you bet your life it was somewhere else before that. There's, you know, in other words, if Corso is getting the fiber optics and the, you know, the transistor and everything else he had, the high tenacity fibers and all that, and he's getting it in 1960, and, the, and Roswell happened, and he thought that he got, got the stuff from Roswell, happened in 47, then the Air Force had the rest of the stuff. So the critics of Corso, Colonel Corso said, well, he's lying because the stuff was in the general public before him. In other words, before he got it. Well, of course it was. They just didn't have anybody like Colonel Corso talking about the, you know, the secret is the secret. Let's get real about the technology. It's the technology, not the aliens, not the visitation of the aliens, not the, the religions being upset, not the panic. The, the secret is the military-industrial complex, and I know you've done a lot of work with uh, Richard Dolan, who does a great job discussing that. The, you know, they just don't want to talk about what, the, you know, the toys they have, the things they have, the anti-gravity, everything that's come out of these these crashes. They don't want to talk about it because it's a whole sub-level. Right. I think I can, in your analogy, Richard, about the tow truck drivers arriving on a, on a crash scene, a good example of that would have been the, the crash in, uh, the Aztec crash in 1948. Uh, the great book written by um, Scott Ramsey and Susan Ramsey regarding how that all played out and a very similar situation with police and, and different arms of the military trying to get to the crash site. Right. And when right. they arrived, you know, there were people bedlam. crawling all over the UFO and it was really a, a, a pretty bad scene. Exactly. Yes. You should know, though, that there is an accord worldwide. There's a book, and I wish people would read it. It's called Magic Eyes Only by Ryan Wood. He's, he is the son of Bob Wood, who worked for McDonnell Douglas, um, who is a great ufologist. Uh, he, he's got 93 different crashes in that book. Uh, unfortunately, and I just tried to buy it again, I have it, and it costs $40, but it's got 93 different crashes worldwide, including the Virginia case. It does have the 1945 case. It has, um, I think it's Cape Girardeau. It has the early cases way back. And uh, that book it should, it should be in everybody's library. It's, it's a reference book. And uh, it's 
clearly stated that in any country, whenever we have any kind of uh, crash, the Americans are the first ones allowed to take out the craft and to be in charge of it. It's an agreement countries have. What about the work of Leonard Stringfield? He was the one, I think, who probably uh, instigated the most action or at least commentary on the number of crashes that he knew about. How does his work affect not only just the whole idea of, you know, going onto the crash scene, but the political aspects of what politicians know about what might be going on, or at least intelligence agencies? Well, you know, I, the only thing I can say, I mean, I can say a couple of things, but I met Len Stringfield, but I was really freaked out because I had just um, um, connected with Alan Hynek. He had asked me to do his Italian translations. I went to a conference in 19, I think it was 1980 in Chicago. This man came in, he had an attache case chained to his hand, uh, to his arm, I'm sorry. And uh, I said to Alan, who's that man over there? And he said, that's Len Stringfield. I said, well, why is he hanging on to, you know, that, that material that way? And he goes, well, you know, Paula, he said, Len Stringfield has photos of the alien autopsies at Roswell and the testimony of doctors. He was one of the early people, um, Richard and Victor, that did the work. He was a field researcher. This guy was amazing, his book Code Red. And I keep, I'm going to mention books because, like I was talking to Victor before, I'm a teacher. I have a master's in education. You need to read about these things because the, you, it, the only way I would ever give a student a grade is if they went to the source. The source for Len Stringfield is the book Code Red. And, and other books that he wrote. And th- these people were the early researchers that really had a lot of information that new researchers today in 2020 have never heard of. So all I can tell you is that he did his job. He did it well. And if you could grab hold of his early books, you'll find out details about not only UFO crashes, but a, a lot of the UFO phenomenon that people have no idea about today. All right, Victor Paula, we are heading into a break. Uh, We'll come back and delve further into UFO crash retrieval programs. And uh, just a reminder, coming up in the second hour, Clifford Stone will drop by with Victor and I, and we'll plumb some more into this amazing topic. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't you dare go away. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Just a quick programming note coming up next week. Uh, Jerome Corsi will be here. And also, retired firefighter Norman Traversi will join me from Ottawa. And Norman is attempting a personal prosecution uh, for the SNC-Lavalin scandal involving Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and he'll tell you how he is making out with his personal prosecution, uh, let's call it uh, adventure. That's coming up next week on The Conspiracy Show. Paula Harris stays with us, paulaharris.com, P-A-O-L-A, that's P-A-O-L-A, harris.com. Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network. We're talking UFO crash retrievals. Um I've always been fascinated by Kecksburg, and and I think the the crash there in 65 in Pennsylvania, uh, maybe because I I feel it's kind of overlooked. We talk about Roswell. We talk about 
um, Aztec. We talk about Socorro, but we don't talk as much uh, about Kecksburg. Uh, what are your thoughts on on the Kecksburg UFO crash and and uh, what we, what we what we know about it, Paula? Well, you know, Leslie Kane did the work on that, and you know that she also filed a uh, a lawsuit against NASA for Kecksburg. Um, since I never researched it, I'm not really a, an authority on it, but I did ask ground, uh, ground crew astronaut um, Clark McClellan, who's been one of my whistleblowers for many, many years, about that, and he said he was there. But he's Office of Naval Intelligence. There you go again, the Navy. And he said that the, what, what he saw was an acorn-shaped um, vehicle, but he, he was told, he was told, um, but then he, you know, he, again, he was with NASA, that it was a part of a Soviet reentry uh, vehicle. Um, but, you know, so uh, you don't know who to believe anymore. I mean, I, I don't know whether that he was told that he was physically there. Uh, so he was told that because that's what they believe or it was a UFO. Um, I, you know, I only can really deal with stuff that I personally was involved with, so it's really hard. What do you think about it, Richard? You're fascinated with it. Well, the people that were allegedly on the ground in the either the the, the night of or the day after, uh, the head of NASA, I believe it was James Webb at the time. You had members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff that were reportedly were there. Um, I mean, I I would be curious, and, and this is something the next time we have uh, Grant Cameron on, Victor, is to find out mm-hmm. whether there is he's discovered anything in the the Johnson Library. He was president at the time. You know, no one talks about the Johnson Library. You know, uh, as far as ex presidents go, I don't know. He's I guess he's got a bit of a black mark on him. We don't hear much about the Johnson Library, but that would be interesting to me to find out what might come out of there. Yeah, the one thing that I can tell you about the the actual uh, incident, uh, and having spoken to a couple of researchers on this, is that if it was uh, some you know terrestrial uh, satellite uh, or or whatever that that did crash, generally speaking, those craft take a very direct route when they fall out of the atmosphere, and this particular craft took a very circuitous route as it as it as it plummeted towards uh, towards earth it wasn't sort of a, a one straight shot and uh, and landing it was a very curved kind of aperture that this craft took so it, it satellites don't generally take that kind of uh, approach to to a crash so there's a lot of evidence that indicates that that this was not necessarily a terrestrial vehicle and the other aspect of this that uh, I've looked at is that the person who was in charge of of uh, of guarding the, uh, the 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 craft in 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 a building indicated very clearly that the the hubbub around the craft itself when it was commandeered by the by the military uh, it it was uh, held in such strict secrecy uh, which may or may not, uh, you know, indicate that it was Soviet or, or some other country, but the amount of security that was behind it was extraordinary, much more so than would be from a terrestrial kind of craft. The testimony of Clifford Stone really compelling. I helped to publish his book. I actually published Eyes Only. I hope people buy that book. It's really amazing um, because when he did his uh, his uh, testimony at, at you know Stephen Greer's 
disclosure project, he was extremely compelling. And, and he talked about the first crash that he cleaned up was in Indian Town Gap, Pennsylvania, in 19, I think he said 1969. I'm going, oh, my God, that's that, you know, soon. It was just like yesterday, 1969, Indian Town Gap, Pennsylvania. It's part of the Disclosure Project testimony. By the way, if, if people are asking who I admire as far as researchers, Stephen Greer, absolutely number one, and Grant Cameron you mentioned, Colin yes. Andrews. These researchers have been around for a very long time and have tried so hard, and Stephen Bassett, as you know, Victor, uh, to bring out the truth in a very, not a theatrical way, but a very historical way. So, in, in other words, they get the protagonists, uh, the, the military people involved, the whistleblowers, the real whistleblowers, to come forth. So, um, you know, when, when Clifford Stone, and I hope he says this, I asked him about why he said there were 57 different species visiting the Earth, Colonel Corso personally had told me there was 52 categorized in the Pentagon, and that's a big number. We're not dealing with reptilians, greys, and Nordics, three different kinds. We're dealing with 57. Uh, Clifford told me he had a first aid manual uh, for this uh, purpose, because he did crash retrieval, so if they were going to do first aid, they wouldn't kill whoever it was aboard, because... The government already knew, uh, more than the government, the, the micromanagers of the UFO group there, the MJ-12 guys, they already knew uh, that there were more than three species visiting, and if you're going to do a crash retrieval and you're going to do any kind of uh, help or first aid, you've got to know what you're dealing with. So this is way, way farther along. A moon dust and blue fly he'll talk about in detail, but this is farther along than the average person thinks it is. It's a good point. When you talk about the historical information that you're that you're alluding to, you know, Project Moondust and, and all of that, what effect do you think, or at least the, the cumulative effect of all of that historical information uh, has on the the listener right now who's listening to the program for the perhaps the first time or someone who's not totally aware of what's going on with respect to crash retrievals and all the, the whole the whole uh, uh, the whole aspect of this what effect do you think history has on their understanding of what this whole UFO ET issue is and and some of the new information that's coming out does history have an effect on on people that are just learning about this or is it just sort of something new that they they uh, they think about and read in the newspaper or talk about with with respect to the navy or the pentagon well I'll answer, that's a good question <laughs> you know that's a good question that you asked me i'm going to answer you in two ways my own children, I've been doing 40 years' worth of work. I started with Heineck, and it was a serious venture. And, and, and in Europe, it's taken a lot more seriously. I mean, nobody wears a tin hat. Nobody does ridicule. And the scientists are interested in Europe. Here, it, for me, 
it's turned into an entertainment field, okay? Uh, and my children have never read one of my books or, you know, seen me speak or anything. But when the New York Times came out <laughs> with, uh, with the footage, and it was in the New York Times, this is like they've known me forever. Uh, my son and daughter write to me and say, you know, Mom, did you read the New York Times article that UFOs are real? <laughs> and I'm going, it took the New York Times for you to take me seriously? Thanks, you know, Mom. I mean, after all these years, I've been working on this. So their their reaction is very important because if it's in the New York Times or if a, a lawmaker gets involved, they believe it. Uh, but uh, the average person, and, and you're not going to like the answer, is basically interested in entertainment. I, because I, I've been working at it in, in the background and as a field researcher, I'm interested in the historical aspect. And also, you know, Victor, you know, we're in exopolitics, which means it's the psychological, it's the institutional, it's the historical aspect of ufology that really matters. Um, but, you know, the average person, I don't think, is really that interested in, in the details. They would rather see, like, the alien or something that's more exciting or whatever, because most mm -hmm. of the people are getting their information off. Nobody's reading anything. They don't go to the sources. I don't know if they're reading Ellen Hynek's books, you know, uh, or, any, or Jacques Vallée's or anybody else's right now. I think that they're getting their information off Internet. And when you get your information on it, off Internet, you're getting a lot of disinformation or a lot of fantasy or a lot of science fiction. It's very frustrating for us in the field that have been working at it for so long. Do you think that some of the information that comes out with respect to the crash retrieval, um, uh, you know, concern or issue, when you're when you're talking about, you know, something landing that's not terrestrial or it's deemed to be not terrestrial, and you've got the hint or at least some information that that bodies were involved, irrespective of uh, of anything else. How intriguing could that be to someone who knows nothing about this? Do they just dismiss it, or do they say, "Holy smoke! How long has this been going on, and why don't why don't I know about it?" We're going to get that well, answer off the uh, after the break here, Paula. Are so lucky in a way because you know Clifford. Still Paula, pa Paula, by. sorry, I've got to I've got to jump in. We got to take a quick timeout. We'll get to that uh, answer okay. when we come back. Paula Harris, Victor Vigiani, stay with us. UFO crash retrievals right here on the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network stays with us. And Paula Harris, investigative reporter in the UFO ET field. Also, before the break, uh, Paula, Victor was asking you about people's general reaction to this very bizarre notion that alien bodies are being recovered. Yeah, you know, the first, first of all, all your uh, scientists and skeptics are going to say, why do, why do UFOs crash if they're, if they're so advanced and all this, you know, uh, it, and we do have crashes. If there's a book with 93 crashes all over the world, we have crashes. Um, 
What's people's reaction? I don't know. You'd have to ask the people. I can only tell you mine. My reaction is that that there is a reason why we're being given this gift of technology, uh, because that's what happens. In 1947 uh, and, you know, before, when these craft would crash, we would gain the technology. Um, and in, in the crashes, for instance, the Virginia crash in Brazil, we not only gain the technology, you gain knowledge that there are other cultures visiting for some reason. What, what needs to happen is people need to ask. I don't know what their reaction is, but they need to ask, um, is this real? And you're going to get it from the horse's mouth. And this is how I deal with my, all my work. Any work I do, I go and fly. I've been to, to, um, uh, the Kennedy Space Center several times. I've been to Roswell uh, every year for Clifford Stone. I've talked to other people that have been involved in crash retrieval, and that's the only way I can get any information is go to the people that know that this is real. Colonel Corso, in my book, Conversations with Colonel Corso, you actually have uh, a comparison of the bodies that he saw for, I think it was Walter Reed, or at uh, Wright-Patterson, it was Wright-Patterson, he saw the bodies with a human body. So Colonel Corso's not making up anything. He was the head of Foreign Technology Division at the Pentagon. So I can, you know, if I want to know, I'm going to read what, what the body was like, that the autopsies of the body and so forth. Uh, and so it's, you know, I don't know what they're, what, people's reaction are for me i'm not surprised i mean these these things that are flying around obviously have uh, some kind of clone in them and colonel corso told me that the gray alien that's why i'm not going to put so much emphasis on the gray alien which has become the mascot of ufology i think colonel corso actually told me so we're not worried about the little clone that flies the ships he said we're we're worried about who created them that looks like us that's walking in the halls of the pentagon and the thing is that if clifford is telling you there's 57 different species some of them look exactly like us and then I'm talking to Glenn Steckling, who did all the Adamski work, and he's saying they look exactly like us. So then your next question is, if they look exactly like us, are they here? Are, are they sitting in your restaurant? Are they walking among people? Are they? And, and it gets even more interesting after that, if you start asking the proper questions. Um, did we, we, we keep hearing about Robert Bigelow having... Uh, a hangar full of, well, I don't know about a hangar full, but he, having his hands on a lot of this uh, trace evidence and, and uh, re, re, recovered artifacts from a UFO crash. What do you hear in the rumor mill about Bigelow's collection, the likelihood that he might start releasing some of this stuff? Um, not, first of all, if it's rumor mill, I don't know anything. I, I know Bigelow was interested but Bigelow is interested from the consciousness point of view. Bigelow also supported and paid for uh, Raymond Moody because Raymond Moody does life after death studies. And Bigelow is attaching his, his interest to, because his son committed suicide, to life after death, to paranormal. That's why Jacques Vallée was involved with them too. 
um, because he's in, and the paranormal is is involved with this people. I mean, this is not just nuts and bolts anymore. At the end of my career here, I'm looking more at the paranormal than I'm looking at the nuts and bolts. But you know, the idea that these could be interdimensional beings that they're you know he's the one that bought the Skinwalker Ranch and had all that weirdness happening there because he wants to know. Um, he was interested in every aspect of it. He's not just interested in the craft and the beings. He's interested in the cattle mutilations and all of the weirdness and the paranormal around the UFO phenomena. Um, so since I never met him and I don't, you know, have never dealt with him, the only thing I know is what I've been told by my colleagues and I don't think he's, I think now he's, you know, he's a, a, a businessman. I, he's got Bigelow Enterprises. He and Elon Musk are, are, are working into getting people into outer space. I think that's where his attention is. In the past, I think he was interested in all of the consciousness aspects, the life after death, the weirdness, the, all of that stuff um, aspects in it. So, you know, this is greater than just um, one of the reasons, and I hope he tells you that. If he doesn't, I'm telling you this, that, that Clifford Stone even worked in these programs is because he had contact and he had psychic abilities. He has them today. So the, the, if you have psychic abilities and the remote, and I know you guys are interested in remote viewing, they, they use these people because that, that language is what the ETs deal with. I mean, they don't come down speak English, Chinese, and Italian. If you meet a live ET, you're going to have direct thought transfer. So you need psychics. You need to deal with people who, has, who have abilities to deal with whoever's on that craft. So, um, and that's, uh, that's a real interesting part of this. Instead of taking it apart, you know, limb from limb. It's all, it's all of it. That's, actually, that's why I wrote the last book, All of the Above and Beyond, because it's more of it. It's all of it. It's paranormal, interdimensional, and all of it. All right. We'll uh, step away. This was a short segment. We'll come back. One more big chunk remains with Paula Harris. And then on to Hour 2 with Clifford Stone. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Victor Vigiani is the executive director of Zealand News Network. And Paula Harris is a photojournalist, investigative reporter for many decades in this UFO ET arena. And uh, her website, paulaharris.com, P-A-O-L-A, harris.com. Victor, over to you. Yeah, I just wanted to, thanks, Richard, just wanted to uh, broach, I guess, more of a, <laughs> an etherical uh, question to you. The, the, you mentioned earlier before the break the, the, the idea of the paranormal versus the whole nuts and bolts aspect of this whole issue, be it crash retrievals or whatever. What what do you see as the confluence between? And this is the problem I see with a lot of individuals, you know, in the, in the general public that are dealing with. How do you see the the confluence of the, of the the psychology behind the whole UFO ET issue and and the the technological or nuts and bolts 
issue. I mean, they're, they're two very different aspects of this of the same of the same issue. How do you how do you reconcile that in explaining it to people who are trying trying to deal with this issue? Oh, Lord, it's very difficult. Um, you know, in my last, uh, you know, my, my last years, in my mature years of research, I began reading the books of Jacques Vallée, and he has uh, four books called Forbidden Science, Volume 1, 2, 3, and 4, and the reason why he's, he's controversial is because he's never separated the paranormal from the, the real. Because when, when something happens, no matter what it is, there is some unexplainable, un, uh, unexplainable by our common science today. And even Colonel Corso said that our science today cannot explain certain things. Um, and it basically has to be part of your investigation. You cannot just look at metal. You cannot just look at physical traces. I mean, Alan Hynek started like that. You know, close encounters of the first kind, second kind. Third, the second kind was physical traces. You can get that in the Lonnie Zamora stuff because you, you see the physical traces, the radiation and all that. But it's so much more than that. Uh, the, the, if you really study this, it, it has a psychological effect on who they choose you know, in Lonnie Zamora case, it was it, he was a, a state trooper. Uh, in a lot of other, you know, instances, and in Travis Walton and Betty and Barney Hill, you know, these people were chosen in some way to have the experience. And then you have to go into psychology. And I was very close friends with John Mack, very close. I so I could have these conversations with him because he he was a psychiatrist. So my dream, Victor um, and Richard, is we should have had a team of a psychologist, a psychiatrist, an astronomer, uh, a, uh, a uh, you know physical scientist, uh, and we should have teams of people that look at this, not just uh, you know people that go out there and, and and just look at the nuts and bolts part of this because it affects the witnesses, it affects. Uh, it, it affects everything, including our history, the timing of, of the Roswell crash. And, you know, and I, it, all my job was was to interview the people. I interviewed the mortician at Roswell, Glenn Dennis, when he told me he was asked for six children's caskets. And the, his, his, the next question was, where was the accident? Where the, were these kids killed? You know, and I got to speak to the people. So my my part of it is just to get the witness testimony to put it in books word for word. But in my older age, and I'm 75 now, in my old age, I want to meet with a group of people to look at all of it, every part of it, including the paranormal part of it that Jock talks about in Forbidden Science. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Jacques Vallée. Uh, could you spend a few moments telling us about the uh, the archives at Rice University? This is interesting because I recently spoke to a remote viewer uh, who was telling me that uh, Georgia uh, State University is now housing the archives of Ingo Swan. And here we now we have Rice University housing uh, the archives from Jacques Vallée, Whitley Strieber, and yourself. Tell us about that. And me, <laughs> 
you know, I'm in Colorado, and the chancellor of the University of Colorado is, was my professor. He's the one that gave me my teaching degree. So I walk into his office. Uh, this is Phil DiStefano. I say, Phil, you know, I'm 75. I want my archives to go somewhere, and you guys got bad karma because you did the Condon Committee report. So how about taking all my really good research and you change your karma here at the University of Colorado? And he says, oh, that's a great idea, Paula. You're a viable person. I've known you for years. You know, I, you were my student and everything. But the University of Colorado would not take it. That they're, they're, you know, even though he's the chancellor, the, the, the people at the library said, no, we don't take stuff like that. So I was, I was with Jacques having dinner, and I said, Jacques, where's my stuff going to go? My kids aren't interested. It's going to go all in the trash. They're going to come in and throw everything away, all this audio tape. And I've, I've interviewed everybody. I mean, you name it, you know, all over the world. And, and uh, so he's, he, he actually picked up the phone and called uh, Rice University and said, you're going to take Paula's archives. So uh, I'm with Jacques Vallée and Whitley Strever, and I'm starting to box up my archive. And who's taking it? You're not going to believe it. It's in the Department of Religious Studies. Jeff Cripple, who is a published uh, author. You should read his book, The Flip. Uh, he is the head of the department, and he said, look, Paula, he said the graduate students are going to go through it. They're going to, like, you know, because I have a lot of maps, I have a lot of photos. I've got over 4,000 photos. I mean, whether it's John Mack or the early researchers, I have all this stuff, and they're going to go through it and put it in the archives, and you can't believe how thrilled I am. You can't believe how happy I am because all of this work gets to be put in a university, and I'm an academic person, so I'm super thrilled, and that's where Jack's going. The only difference is the Jack it has left uh, a, um, a, an advi advisory thing that nobody gets to look at until 10 years after his death. So, um, but, but if you read his books right now, he's got the biggest Forbidden Science for me has everybody's names in it. it is, the four volumes of Forbidden Science is a dis are disclosure books. Paula, you've you've captured my mind on that last the last comments that, that you made uh, regarding Jacques Vallée because when I first got involved in this in 1975, I was in in a, in a Coles bookstore up in Barrie, Ontario, and I picked up his book uh, Revelations, and I stood there and read the introduction, and uh, I was completely struck by by his assessment of of what was going on because at the time I really didn't have any particular interest. How how influential. Uh, is this man, Jacques Vallée, and why hasn't he been more front and center? Is, does he just want to stay away from the limelight? Well, or, no, it's not what the is limelight. It? He doesn't agree with three-quarters of the circus out there. But he, he has to be making some sort of statement, though. He's, he's an astronomer, and he, how important is he? He's close encounters. The whole movie was made <laughs> around him. The whole movie was made around uh, Spielberg made the movie. He is the most fascinating man I've ever met. He is the only man that, to me, has put the pieces of the puzzle together. And, of course, he's European. So mm -hmm. he also is very involved in, in uh, studies uh, of the European, uh, you know, especially French, the Valso case. And, of course, in my conference, I put on a conference every year in Laughlin, Nevada. 
I have uh, from Argentina, Witness to Another World, where Jacques Vallée's in there, the story of Juan Perez that was made. Uh, he's been to, I think it's Brazil in, in this case, and, and he right. did the story. Uh, he, he, he goes all over the world the way I do and gets a, a clear picture. But again, uh, it resonated with you, um, Victor, because the man is a genius. He's got it together. He's got his act right. together, and he, he only does it because of the study and the fascination. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know he had a sighting when he in I think it was 1955 in broad daylight with another uh, young man. They both saw a UFO in their uh, uh, town in Paris. Uh, uh, it was a regular frying saucer had a dome on it. So anybody that has that happening, I think, gets invited to be part of this game. Well, he was away from the scene for a while, and now he's kind of back. Which and we're great. We're 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 lucky to have him back. We're lucky to have you with us, Paula. I want to thank you so much. And you mentioned your your conference in Laughlin, Nevada, Starworks USA. That's uh, UFOs and artificial intelligence, and that's happening in November. And uh, where do people go for details? Oh, it's www.starworksusa.com. And Richard, I'm living with a bunch of robots in here that are driving me crazy uh, because I bought <laughs> robots, especially from China. So it's going to be an exciting conference talking about an exciting, innovative thing, which is artificial intelligence. Fantastic. Paula, always a delight. Be well, and I hope to talk again soon. You guys take care. All right. Bye now. Victor. You stay where you are. We'll be back on the other side with Clifford Stone right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away.